The web is a very spirited discussion about a relatively small number of changes between Apple, Google, and Firefox. Yeah. Satisfy the protection of your continuous integration and deployment workflows with cloud-native application security, part of Trend Micro Cloud One. Get automated defense early in your pipeline and across cloud environments for visibility and protection. Discover more at trendmicro.com slash stackoverflow. Hello and good morning to you, Paul. It's just you and me again. What can we do? Well, you know, why it went pretty well last time. Why don't we do another Q&A? Oh, yeah. That was great. <laughs> what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Bum, bum. Bum, bum. Now, first, let's talk about the IRS, because my wife told me that they're thinking about delaying taxes once again. And I realized that if you can print money, meaning like you can just make up money, then maybe by the same logic, you could just cancel taxes. And so if we get to this point where like taxes are delayed and then they're delayed again, I worry we'll never convince people to pay them again. I mean, people already are not the biggest tax fans, and yeah. they don't, uh, yeah, no, no, we're going to delay, you know, IRS has a hard job. They have that's a hard all, job. That's all I can think. Yeah, it's like, if you could just make up an, an amount of money out of thin air that's equivalent to what we pay you, or if you always said you needed this money for the roads and the schools and the firefighters, but now I'm not paying it, and you're still paying them somehow, what's happening? Anyway, fiat yeah, money is a funny thing, but tell me a story about the IRS and programming, because that's what we're here to talk about. Oh, it just sort of floated out on uh, on Twitter, and it's just a classic. Uh, we'll put the link in the show notes, but it's on federalnewsnetwork.com, mm -hmm. and someone named uh, Samuel Hammond, who goes as Ham and Cheese on Twitter, <laughs> uh, linked it out. And so it's, you know, the title is wonderful. It's IRS, and actually, I have to say, like, Federal News Network is a website I have visited many times. It's really worth seeing, like... I love reading magazines about industries like, be right. you know, beverage news. There's just, it's such a world. So Tom Timmin or Temin wrote an article called IRS Programming Mystery Continues. And look, it's just, the IRS is trying to modernize and has been for decades because all of, a lot of their code is still written in assembler for legacy architectures yeah. that processes all the taxes. The IRS is modernizing and always will be. Well, how does that, how does that expression go? <laughs> Yeah, exactly, exactly. So there's just this, there's this story in the background that's kind of amazing, which is that there was one engineer at the IRS who led a, an effort for a couple million dollars right. to uh, transform all the assembly code to Java, and what sensible thing to go to go from the old enterprise to the new enterprise, and he got apparently ninety percent of the way there, and. Then there was just some trouble with budgeting, paying for a patent application, yeah. and he's like, "Yeah, I'm gonna go somewhere else." And that was it. That was it. Was that was the end of that effort? And then now it's back to 180 million dollar business systems uh, modernization <laughs> over the next two years. And this is a very familiar story. It's just sort of a fascinating story, right. you know. And it what's happening is that as tech becomes more and more part of the mainstream conversation. The first time I ever saw this, I think we talked about it once on the show before, was during the healthcare.gov when that came out and it was kind of a debacle. Yeah. And at one point, you know, they, they had a congressional hearing and I, I watched it because I was fascinated to see what was going to happen when, when Congress sort of dug its teeth into software. And it was a rough one. They, they put like HTML comments up on the big board behind them and were like, what is this? Yeah. And the comment was like, abandon all hope, ye who enter here. Like just 
Programming humor 101 does not go over well at a Senate hearing. <laughs> the, the policy I, I, I mm. try to live by and always fail is that irony doesn't scale. The yeah. minute irony jumps anywhere, uh, everybody loses their stuff. So anyway, it's just like it's just another example of we're still living in a legacy world. We don't believe it because we look at the web and, yeah. and so on. And we're creating tomorrow's legacy. I mean, you talked about this before, like there should be a major, a CS major for a particular kind of person, which is legacy systems engineering. And you get paid three times as much as the average person to go back in and work in old, unpopular coding languages or to pick up a project that was 90% done and then abandoned. You are like the excavator of like a collapsed building that you then go in and somehow keep standing. No, pair that major with an English major. Yeah. So it's just like I'm a double major in legacy systems improvement <laughs> and creative writing. Like I should have done that. I spent 10 years trying to turn my English degree into an understanding of technology. That's right. I should have just double If I could have doubled up in college, I would have had a safe career. <laughs> there will always be a broken legacy system somewhere and you can work on your novel in the other 4 hours of the day. Well, this is the thing with the broken legacy systems is the pace is not like it's been running for 20, 30 years. Right, so right. it's not it's not this startup, right? It's a salary. No, no. They come in, they're like, um, could you uh, maybe by uh, Friday see if you could uh, untick these three tick boxes? And you're like, yep, I'll get back to you Tuesday of next week and I'll have unticked two boxes. And then it just slowly, slowly. No, it's like that's chiseling right. I mean, an look, amber. <laughs> your job is to break it into pieces and then over a decade. Yeah. You know, what I love, you'll talk to people in this world and, and they'll be like, oh, yeah, I was in charge of the single sign-on effort for giant company X. Right. And it'll be a big company with lots of pieces. And you'll be like, how long did that take? And they'll go, well, you know, I, I mean, you know, 48 months. <laughs> <laughs> and you got to, and then, you know, in your head, you do the division. You're like, that's that's a funny way to say four years, right? But they're, <laughs> they're just trying to hold on. Those are horrible problems. Yeah. They take a long time. And you can't, like, no one can crunch for four years except in the games industry where we just apparently want to really hurt all the employees. So this all got started right, reading one of those things. I, I have a thread going from when I used to work at, at DJI, the drone operator, and we used to have to monitor the press clippings. And so I have a long thread called Today in Amazing Trade Periodicals. Codings Pro Magazine was excellent. No-till farmer online. And then here it is, Federal yeah. Computer Week Online had an excellent article. Fed Week, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah, yeah. And they even have advertising. I mean, this is a good looking site, like uh, clean, fast. But yeah, the business of federal technology and oh boy, is FCW. that big business. I know this, you know, every now and then you'll see a 3,000 word article on like FCW or yeah. one of these sites where you go, oh, <laughs> that's what's happening, yeah. right? Yeah. Like it's... Yeah, there it is. Lawmakers skeptical of seaborne drone fleet. Yep. That's the news you can use. That's the news you can use. I think my favorite of all was rockproducts.com. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Just like things made from rocks? Things made from rocks, ways to break rocks, ways to move rocks. If you need to know about rocks, they got you covered. Oh, you know, I loved this also. I just hit the website. It's now incorporating aggregates manager. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a big tent. There's room for everybody. Yep. It's so old school, too. I mean, you're going back about 45,000 years of human rock-related work. That's right. All right, what questions do you have? In terms of questions, well, we could walk through something here that, you know, like has been bothering sort of me personally and see if, mm -hmm. if you can help me out. So for a long time, I have had Touch ID on my phone, and I love using Touch ID to sign into things like my bank account. 
I don't actually know if it's more secure, but I've been told there's a secure element and there's hardware and software and cryptography involved. Also, it's mm. faster than you know putting in my password. But I have a touch ID on my Mac and I could never do that. I could never sign in that way. And so Apple said at the latest WWDC, hey, we're bringing touch ID to the web, which is interesting mm-hmm. to me because it's like the web is this place where notoriously you have to be careful with your passwords and people are trying to fish you. And I was thinking, oh, maybe this could be like a great solution where like, you know, in the future, most computers have touch ID. And then my mom doesn't have to write down her list of passwords and, you know, lose it on the bus. She can just use her finger. But it's Safari only, at least to start. And then I started, I was mm-hmm. like, mm, is that necessary? Like, what's the, what's the point of being like on the web if you're if you're gated to one browser? That feels wrong. But talk, talk me through a little bit of like, what is what's it? Going that, yeah, what's there? going on yeah. there? Can we talk through that? Yeah, of course. So first of all, don't think of your fingerprint or even your face. At, your face and your fingerprint are, are like a a consistent source of random of randomness. Mm-hmm. Like no one else has them. No one else is able to get the exact same like pattern right. without actually using your face or your fingerprint. Right. Face so, off. people may not remember that amazing film but that is an amazing film all right so apple has you rub your fingerprint all across the little sensor right right? and in doing so it does like kind of it makes a little picture of your fingerprint and then we've talked a little bit about encryption and hashing and things like that on on the show before that it doesn't send your fingerprint all over the place because that would be also be kind of like that's a big sloppy thing what it does is it says when the fingerprint looks kind of like this, mm. meaning like pretty accurately, when you put your finger on, it goes, oh, okay, I'm going to use my special a- algorithm to hash that, and I'll compare it to the other fingerprint mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, that I have in memory. And if those numbers, if, if you know, if your fingerprint reduces to 7A and the one in memory also reduces to 7A, mm-hmm. then you're going to be in a good place. And, and we can let you in, because that would be really, really hard to do otherwise. Uh, we don't really know any way you could. Which also means that if somebody hacked in, they wouldn't get your fingerprint. Right. They would get your magic ID yeah. that the computer made for you from your fingerprint. Right, right, right. So, and and presumably, if I do it on one computer versus another, because that is keyed to your computer or your system, even with the exact same fingerprint inputs, I'd have different numbers. Right. So it's pretty secure. It's pretty thought through. And that, that's me working it back a little from first principles. I'm far from an expert here. And so, yeah, I mean, I think one of the interesting things that I sort of remember, and maybe we're getting this wrong, so, you know, hate mail, bring it on. But I, I feel like the secure element on the phone or in the computer basically does what you're talking about. It says, like, does your finger smudge, you know, match this one to a certain degree? And then we approve that. But Apple just then says to whoever needs approval, hey, Approved. It doesn't actually send anything in terms of right the finger data at all, right? It's just it does that locally in the secure element. That's where it says like finger smudge approved. I mean, basically things go up and down to the server. It, right. it, it depends on how they implemented it, but yeah, and essentially it shouldn't. You know, when you're logging into something with Touch ID on right. your compu- on your computer, your phone, your fingerprint is not going to the server. Right. Right. Exactly. And so I feel like that helps me a lot because one of the things that I'm struggling to understand about programming is, you know, like I understand it now syntactically a little bit better. Like these are, you know, functions and these are strings and these are integers and you might make a call to a database and you'd have to let it know what it is. But where I get lost is like the client side, server side, runtime, like where the stuff where like things actually have to be, where the commands have to operate with the machinery and in a certain sequence, that's when like my brain just starts to, to, to poop out. 
It's really muddy. It's really hard to understand. There are uh, the best forms I've seen for explaining it. There's a MIT document explaining, I think, the Kerberos protocol from the 80s, mm-hmm. uh, where it's just done as a Socratic dialogue. Like, hey, what if I, you know, now I would like to talk to the printer, but I would like it to be, you know, and, and it's just like, and really, because then you're, t- well, I need a secret key, and I, the right. other person has to have the other secret key, right, and, and right. just sort of, it's hard. This yeah. hard, this is hard. The mental models are not clear, and it it's not something that we have thought to ourselves as a culture. Boy, everybody needs to understand this starting in middle school. Yeah, that's right? what we want. We want the like. Here's how an airplane flies because of Bernoulli's principle version of computer science and hardware for everybody. Because you're gonna everybody uses these devices. It's like 85 percent of our lives are spent with these things now. We should at least be able to. You can't. Maybe you can't go under the hood and fix it, but at least like get the basic operating principles. No, I mean, I remember, you know, seventh grade science class and, you know, you, where you learn about, I don't know, Avogadro's number or yeah. the momentum of a car or Bernoulli's principle. It's just like right. those really basic principles of, of physics and science. We, we probably are going to need to do those around <laughs> encryption, security, privacy. Yeah. Or not because the kids are learning it all on YouTube and TikTok and they're way ahead of us. No, they're being radicalized by QAnon. So we actually doubly need to get in there and do it. So, okay, so back now now you're talking about something different when you're talking. So you're talking about the web. The web, Safari and Apple have said, boy, it'd be great if we could integrate the Touch ID that's on the local operating system. Right. So that when people want access to a website, they could touch their sensor. Yeah. And that the website would go, cool, I got I, I can give you access. Yeah. So first thing to know is there's actually lots of web standards that talk to the hardware of the computer. That didn't used to be the case. It used to be like, here's a page, wanna look at it? Cool. You're get some <laughs> stuff off the internet. Yeah. The web was kind of inherently sandboxed, and increasingly the web is this interface to the computer. And the, the most pure example of that is, you know, Chrome OS and Chromebooks, right? Yeah. So like, you know, we're gonna put a thin shim over Linux and let let the browser do the work. I mean, I'm familiar a little bit with this from my digital media days because we had to go through this endless exercise of will this display write on this device? How do we know what device you're using? How do we know what mode you're using it in portrait or vertical? And so like, right, you start to get all of these hardware signals that will then make sure your content displays in a way that's, you know, enjoyable enough that people won't click away after three seconds, right? That's where it's right. That's where it starts, right? So it gets to, it, it starts with the screen because that's your display medium yeah. and everybody goes, oh, well, that's cool. The, the, the content is adapting to the screen. Yeah. It's responsive. Very good. Good for the content. <laughs> but then it's like, what if I want to make music software in my browser? I have an, an audio API, so I could play play songs. But what if I want to like put music in? Yeah. Well, now I have to hook up to different devices like synthesizers right. if I really want to do this stuff. And that that means I need MIDI and I need a USB hookup because I can't like there, there's nothing up to get that information out of the operating system. I need to understand where it's coming from and how it works. So then you get Web USB and Web MIDI and, mm, and sort of mm. all these different standards. So here you're talking about another one. And so in general, what happens? So Apple Safari is based on WebKit, which is a large open source project. You know, Chrome is a fork of WebKit. Uh, Mozilla's Firefox uses its own rendering engine called Gecko. And so, but for the most part, WebKit is is the big one. Everyone right. is, you know, on your mobile and on your desktop yeah. is using WebKit. So what Apple is saying is we have decided that Touch ID is very important. Right. And we would like it, the interface to the Touch ID library right. in our operating system mm-hmm. 
we're going to make that work with Safari. Now, right. here's where it gets interesting is that does that then work? And I don't know because I haven't researched this yet. Right. Are they just saying Safari is going to work with the way that Apple has implemented Touch ID? Mm-hmm. Or are they saying Safari is going to work with the way with the an open touch related authentication standard? Right. And we will contribute we're going to do this in Safari, have a working example, and then we will update the overall set of web standards with our suggestion, right. which then would go to the World Wide Web Consortium as an industry group, and multiple people would literally sit in a room and be on a mailing list right. in order to add touch to the the web standard so that other browsers could it's implement just, it. It's just so crazy that we ma- somehow this whole thing manages to hold together. The consortium of people on the mailing list can agree, and then all it, it just it ripples out, and somehow we all keep moving forward and using the internet to well, make funny cat videos. I mean, I just, it's just why it's a process. It feels so Illuminati when people say, yeah, like it just is like, there's a consortium of, you know. Oh, it's really not. If you go, I mean, it is incredibly what you'd expect. I mean, when you talk to Sarah about open source governance, that is this world. Like, it's just that. It's just, we're going to talk about the standards. We're going to talk about the community. If you go to w3.org, there are all these standards listed. See, it used to be in the early days of the web, you'd literally read them to understand what was going on with the different things happening. I guess my question, maybe, maybe I phrased it wrong. Maybe it's like, You'd think, or I would assume, that something huge that has so much impact that deals with the web at the scale of all the world's most valuable companies would inevitably become evil, like the World Bank. But it's not. It's still kind of dorky and open and just, like, doing the good work because why? Like, why do people do that? Well, first of all, I mean, humans do love open culture right yeah, like we yeah. there's a there's a lot of us who do yeah. it's all very complicated there i mean that we you know one of the big conflicts in the last couple of years that stuck out is that the web consortium started to endorse strategies for digital rights management and the argument there was that because places like netflix are they can either use proprietary technology right. or they can use open standardized technology right. that does drm uh, it would be better for them to it'd be better for this to be standardized so that you know browser builders can et cetera et cetera. And right. so like you can see this argument, and then you can understand very quickly where like the Electronic Frontier Foundation is going to come down on that, right? Like yeah. people are going to go like this is a, this is open, it's for everyone. But to me, that argument kind of falls away when you have the idea that someone could pay for access to a website anyway. Right. So it's very and then and then you can counter argue that like well you know but then they can still cut and paste that text that they paid for, and you go like well okay I can't do that video on Netflix etc. Et cetera, et cetera. Like it, it kind of, this is a, it gets really big and muddy. And so these organizations exist to work problems like this out. Yeah. And then they sometimes make decisions that piss a lot of people <laughs> off. But you, you need something, or otherwise you just have like Apple decides what the web is. One of the, this the, from two years ago, how to programmatically check support of Face ID and Touch ID. I've integrated local authentication for my app security, which has been supporting Touch, but now they added Face. How do I check? Which type of authentication mm. is supported by which device? This has going on 31,000 views. So yeah, people care about this stuff. And here it is written out. Case none. Now biometry type is supported. Case type face ID. This device supports face ID. There it is. 
So what you're what you're looking at there is a, a big reason why we talk about a lot like frameworks like React Native or right. or just ways to wrap the web with phone interfaces. Yeah. That's what you get. Like you can make a pretty good experience as long as you're not doing something really visually intense just yeah. using the web, but you can't talk to the native interfaces. So right. these wrapper layers let you talk to the SDK yeah. while mostly doing web programming. And that's something like React Native and it gives you other benefits too, but but that's the only way to get access to that stuff. That yeah. You can't get to it straight from the web. I like reading this. Static function biometric type let authorization context equals LA context. If available, then, mm -hmm. you know, case none, return none. Case touch ID, return touch. I get it. A little. That's I get it thing. a little. No, that's right. I mean, you know what that used to be? It used to be that you would be checking. IE had a very different way of interpreting CSS than yeah. other browsers. Yeah. And so you were always checking, you know, what browser you were in, and then you would change <laughs> change the CSS accordingly. Right, 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 right. Does this browser support this cool, like, interactive Java applet or not? <laughs> well, and it wasn't just that. It was that, like, they just had a different sense of geometry. So, yeah. you'd be, you know, things would just look totally different between the two. Things would bleed over and, like, get off the page. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, That's right. That's right. All right, my friend. I've learned a oh, lot. Oh, we did it. We did it. Let's read a lifeboat and Sarah goodbyes. Good. Sarah will be back. Sarah will be you back know, soon. Don't worry. Yeah, no. It's not gonna be like it's not gonna be like this forever. We promise. <laughs> All right. Awarded 13 hours ago to Kunal Chawla. Ask permission for push notification. And the question is: I'm working on an application and I need to use a push notification. I know that they are normal permissions, so I can't ask it at runtime, but I want to insert it. And the answer is, as answered here, you don't need permissions for push notifications. Dang. I wish you did. There you go. Kind of wish you did, though. There you go. <laughs> yeah, I know me too. Good life, Boaten. Great life, Boaten. Thanks for listening. Thanks for contributing your knowledge. And yeah, if you were in a similar situation to the one Paul and I were describing at the beginning with the IRS, let's say you're working on a big old software project and somebody's been doing it for five or 10 years and they're going to move on. How do you make sure all that knowledge is retained, Paul? How do you make sure that the documentation is good and people can find the answers they need to the questions they have? You want to know the terrible answer? Back overflow for you teams. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, that's the good answer. Yeah, yeah what's, actually, what's that's answer? a good one. What's your answer? Well, no, I mean, it, it's human beings... Yes. corralling documentation and helping with the knowledge management, but that's completely compatible with yes. Stack Overflow for Teams. Your organic answer is compatible with my product plug. Excellent. That is exactly right. I'm Paul Ford. I'm the co-founder of Postlight. We bring strategy, design, and engineering to deliver platforms and experiences that drive digital transformation. Postlight.com. Woo! All right, everybody. I'm Ben Popper, Director of Content here at Stack Overflow, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Popper. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Thanks. 